Welcome, my name's Dawn. I work at the Durham County Record Office. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Record Office is and what we do, but mostly obviously this is about research in the history of your house. I've called it research in the history of your house, but actually it could be any house conceivably. It doesn't have to be the one that you live in. And I think it's important to say from the beginning, I'm not assuming any prior knowledge. I know some of you may come with quite a bit of experience of using some of the sources that I'm going to talk about, and that's great, but it's fairest to everyone if I just assume that you don't know what something is and explain it for those people in the room who may not know. If at any point you'd like to ask questions, please chip in. You don't need to wait till the end um, or till I ask if there are any questions. I'm quite happy to answer questions as we go along. So a little bit about the record office. Our official strap line is we collect, preserve and make accessible historical documents relating to County Durham and Darlington. So we're actually the record office for Darlington as much as we are for County Durham. For other areas, particularly those that aren't part of County Durham now, so um, South Shields, Gateshead, Sunderland, Hartlepool, Stockton, you may need for some things to go to Teesside Archives or Tynham Weir archives um, just because of the way that the records are structured and where they've ended up. But that broadly is the area we cover. <laughs> we have over five miles of shelving full of records dating from as early as 1122 and most of them um, are more recent. Most of them are 19th, 20th century records and we range from council records to family and estate collections, we've got the Durham Light Infantry collection, we've got records of industry, we've got all sorts um, and it's incredibly rich material for researching local history. In terms of using the record office, our search room is currently closed in order to facilitate our move to a new history centre which is, uh, I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute, but basically we've got an awful lot of records to move. They need packaging, they need sorting ready um, to be moved, and we haven't got the capacity to do that and maintain a public search room. We are still, we do still have an inquiries and research service operating, so um, you can still commission research. There is a charge, but it depends on how much research you want doing and we can advise on that and there are details on our website. The new History Centre, it's still Durham History Centre in my mind because it was that, that was its working title for a very long time. It will be called The Story at Mount Oswald and we've got a display um, down in the hall about it with more information. Um, basically new improved facilities will be combined with other services including the Durham Light Infantry Collection, historic registration, um, parts of archaeology and local studies. And there will be an exhibition, so the bottom floor of the modern building there will be exhibition space, there'll be a cafe, there'll be research space on the first floor and there'll be lots of exciting community, community and outreach activities. It's for those of you who don't know Mount Oswald, it's basically on the south side of Durham near the crematorium, um, not far up from the Cock of the North roundabout. And we are due to open in 2023. As with a lot of things, a useful place to start is with, is with what you know. 
So you may have an idea from the type of the property. It may be an obviously historic property with lots of features that your certain dates back hundreds of years, or it may just be a fairly ordinary house that you just want to know when was it built, maybe who's lived there in the past. A rough idea of age is useful just because it helps to give you an idea what you can expect to find. Generally, with an old, the older the house is, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to precisely say when it was built. You may be able to date it back to a certain point, but you're not, as, where you're not going to find as much information about its construction as you might with a more modern property where you might have building plans and things. Has it been a council property at any point? You may know that from the deeds, you may know from the area that it's in. If it's in a council estate, um, then it's a fair supposition that at some point it has been a council property. And again, that influences the records you may be able to use. If the council built the property, even if it's a council that no longer exists, there will be records of it. Those records may have survived and you may be able to find plans or references in minutes and things like that to the property being constructed. Was it owned or built by a landed family? Quite a lot of property in the past was owned by, was built by rich families for their tenants. If it's a property like that or if it's been in the ownership of a wealthy landed family at some point, then again it may be in with those families' records, so that would be another place to look. Also, any title deeds. Sometimes when you buy a house, you get a stack of title deeds, and sometimes they can even go back 100 years or more. Other times, it might be something much more recent. Anything like that will be a good starting point. A nice and easy way and very visual way to um, get started is with Ordnance Survey maps. Now you've got basically the four editions um, before the Second World War. Um, I put circa or about for each of those dates because they are approximations, but you've essentially got those four snapshots of an area and you can see which is the first one that your house appears on. So that can be a useful way, if you don't have any idea of how old it is, it can be a useful way to, um, to get that idea. You know, are you talking 1900? Are you talking 1890s? And there have been later Ordnance Survey maps, but they've been produced as and when there are significant changes. So if there's been a massive change to an area, there will have been several new additions. If there hasn't been changed, there might only have been one or two. Those are the two main scales that we use at the record office. You've got the six inch to the mile there, which is a bit less detailed, and you've got the 25 inch to the mile. The 25 inch are more useful because, particularly for purposes of house history, they're much more likely to name streets. Whereas you can see the one on the left, the six inch um, map, doesn't name any of the streets. This one has named Front Street. You've got a couple of the other streets named. Streets aren't always named. And as we'll discover as we go through, street numbers are also a fairly recent invention. But if you can find them 
on a map. That's always helpful. There's various places online that you can access the maps. The National Library of Scotland have got a very good website. Personally, I find it a little bit difficult to use, but I know others who swear by it. Um, and that covers the whole of um, England, Scotland and Wales, ordnance survey maps of various states, various other information that you can manipulate and play with um, quite extensively. We also have one for Durham, which is the Durham Mapping Portal that's available on the Record Office website. And I'll quickly demonstrate this one for you because I think it's worth... This is where I'm assuming the internet will work, but if it doesn't, then there we are. So there's, okay, it's just gone to, right. So if you go to our records and maps, and then search interactive maps, and view the interactive maps, And then you come to when it loads, hopefully. Yeah, so you've basically got a big, big grid with all the, um, all the maps. The rectangles are basically the sheets of the Ordnance Survey mapping, which is a bit different to those that are used now. So if we, <laughs> there's Bishop Auckland. If we just go out for the sake of, let's have a look at Eldon. So if we're interested in, say, these houses here, what you can do, if you go to background map, you tick historic, and then you've got a choice of different dates. So there we are. It's called office row, this row of houses that we're interested in. And it's there in the 1980s. These dates are all approximate. Um, <coughs> as I say, there haven't been new maps every single decade. So it's um, for the sake of simplicity, they, they've put dates on them. But um, yeah, to take the, 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 there is a little bit of play in some of those dates. For the first three ones, you've got a precise date, so 1860, and a date range, 1856 to 65. Go for the precise dates because Basically, what happened is they were rescanned um, because the original ones were not sufficient quality. So it wasn't there in 1860. And you can just play <coughs> around with it and see at what point does it appear. Try 1923. And you can see sort of when it appears and disappears. Right, so it's there on the third edition in 1923. If we pop back to 1898 there so it's somewhere between the first edition and the second edition so it gives you a rough idea what you're talking about <coughs> and it can be because there are more maps you can be a bit more precise with the 20th century ones so that's a useful little tool to get started just go go and have a play around and it can give you an idea what sort of date you're talking about Before the Ordnance Survey maps, if your house is predating that first edition, there are other options. 
the most useful are going to be tithe maps, which were produced in about 1838 and basically record who owned what land and how much in tithes or taxes to the church they had to pay. They're arranged by parish or township, so a township is like a smaller area within a parish. And they are available on the genealogist. They're also, for Durham, available for free on, on the Durham University Special Collections website. So if you're looking for Durham tithe plans, you can just go to the university. You don't need to be paying a subscription um, unless you want to look for other ones um, in a wider area. And that's typically what a tithe map will look like. There's one for not far from where we are. Now actually there's the um, marketplace area in Bishop Auckland. And you can see all the houses are, or the parcels of land are laid out. So it'll be the house, the land around it, and they've all got numbers. So it all links up to the accompanying books, which then tell you for that number who owned what land. So that's quite a built up area. This is a more rural area. This is Broome near Durham City. And again, you can see lots of fields. Each field is labelled um, with a number and then you can look up in the books and see what number, um, for, for that number, who owned field number 171, um, how was it used and so on. One of the difficulties, especially in the more rural, rural areas, is that you've got a lot of, um, you don't have a lot of landmarks often to pick out where you are. Quite different, quite often these seem very empty and you sort of end up trying to look at road, road shapes, um, geographical features like rivers, field shapes are all quite useful for trying to work out exactly where it is because they won't mark every house on there. The ones in Bishop Auckland, um, for example, there'll have been houses built on those plots, but for the purposes of this survey, they're interested in where the land is, who owns it, how much do they have to pay. The apportionments have um, a lot of useful detail. This is for the broom um, example. And you've got landowners and the occupiers. And one of the things that's worth bearing in mind as you're researching property is landowners and occupiers are often different people. Today, owner-occupiers are the norm. In the past, it was much more the case that someone would own the house and they would rent it to another person to live in. And then you've got the numbers referring to the plan. So field number 171172, and then the name of the field. And quite often they have distinctive names, so Woodhead Field, East Banks, East Wood. And sometimes when you're looking at title deeds, what you'll find is that they um, refer to a field known as Woodland Field or the field known as East Banks. So this can be a good way to find out where it is they might have meant. You've then got how the state of cultivation, so usually arable grass or woodland, and then the size in acres, roots and perches, and the amount of tithes that they had to pay.
So these are really useful for um, going a bit earlier with the maps. The map isn't complete. It's not like the Ordnance Survey map where it shows everything. It only shows what's relevant. So if land isn't tithable, then it will just be a blank. So you do sometimes find blank spaces um, on these maps. But before Ordnance Survey, they didn't really have that idea of a map showing everything in an area. A map was made for a purpose um, to show the way from one place to another, to show um, the who owned what land. It wasn't intended to show everything in, in that area. So title deeds are another very valuable resource for researching house history. Potentially, they can take your property back centuries. Our earliest records are title deeds, but there are, they can be difficult to use. There may be gaps. It's very unlikely to find a complete run of title deeds from the point the house was made up until the present day. More often, you'll get a few here and there um, with gaps in between. It may be hard to identify the property they don't always specify to a modern degree what house it is they're talking about. Sometimes you will get a rough plan drawn. Sometimes it will just say the property known as Hogarth or the property formerly occupied by John Smith. And that was enough at the time, but now it can be quite hard to work out which property they meant. And they haven't all survived. Where will title deeds be? With the property, sometimes you're often given the title deeds when you um, pay off the mortgage or when you buy the property. Um, if you have those, great. If not, it's still possible they survive. They may well be at a record office or deed registry. I say we have thousands and thousands of deeds um, for properties across County Durham. So um, it's always possible that it survived somewhere else. You can search on our online database for title deeds. Um, unlike searching for many of our records, I usually say when people are searching, for example, for names in the church register, there's no point putting your ancestor's name into the search because the computer has only got baptism register, um, Durham St Cuthbert or whichever the church is. But with the deeds, the names of the property, if it's given, and names of the people are included in the catalogue description, so you can search by those. I'll show you a couple of examples of descriptions. This one is September 1807. The reference number is at the top. And then you've got the parties labelled. So the first party, or first part, John Stamp, late of Witten Castle, now of Stenton, Yeoman, sorry, Gainford, Yeoman. And the second party, Thomas Dibbs of Bishop Auckland, innkeeper. Fiofments are basically a deed grant from one to two. So from John Stamp to Thomas Dibbs of a burgage with yard and garth in Newgate Street, Bishop Auckland, late the estate of Thomas Elwood and afterwards of Nathaniel Pewterer. So you've got a few identifying characteristics, but it's actually going to be quite difficult to work out which property in Newgate Street it is. You may need to do a bit of research and 
find who these people are? Can you find Thomas Dibbs at a definite address at any point? He's an innkeeper, so if it's an inn that he's buying, then there may be a record of that. Another example, and again, it follows a similar format. So you've got 23rd of September, 1863, party one, the Viscount and Viscountess Boyne, and, honor, and the Honourable Gustavus Russell Hamilton Russell of Brantsburg Castle, and to Thomas Faunton of Brandon, grocer or grocer. And this isn't actually a purchase, it's a lease of 99 years from one to two of a parcel of land at Brandon of about 196 square yards as specified and shown on the sketch plan endorsed. So that one actually has a little sketch plan on it to specify what the land is. And generally, the more modern the record, the more, the more modern the deed, the more likely they are to do that. Um, bringing it right up to the present day, the land registry um, today replaces title deeds as legal proof of ownership of a house and most property is registered. It's worth having a look, particularly at section C on the land registry document, which is called charges and may include previous owners, particularly the first owner because that's when any restrictions or rights of way or things like that are often mentioned. So you may find clues from the land registry as well, and you can search online and order a copy of the document if you haven't already got one. Any questions on any of that? Yeah. yeah. The um, tithe maps, yes. 1838 or thereabouts, that is as far as I can see, the earliest record on the maps. But you have to go back 700 years or so to the Bolden Book, yeah. which was a record of, well, for taxation. Yeah. Is, there, is there any way that book gives any clue to all the properties? Um, I think the Bolden Book is, because it is that old, it's unlikely to be useful um, because, yeah, unless you can get your property back quite away mm. using title deeds, it's unlikely to, um, that you'll be able to tie it specifically to that unless you know that yours was the substantial property in this village and you can assume that that's the one mentioned um, in the Bolden book. There is nothing in between, is there? there? It depends how lucky you get. There are other maps the Tithe map is really the earliest time that you've got a sort of comprehensive survey that covers everywhere. Before that, you have odd maps here and there. So if you're on an estate that a landed family owned, they may have a map of their land. Someone may have drawn a map of a particular area for a particular purpose. Um, you do have enclosure maps, which basically date from mid 18th century to early 19th century they're to do with the enclosure of the old open field system and sometimes they will show you the whole parish and who owns it in a similar way to the um to the tithe maps do but again it depends the date varies and it depends how the village was enclosed they don't all have those the, the half tax returns are quite good for the 1600s as well. yes yeah 
but yeah, half taxes, half tax returns are really useful. I haven't mentioned them in this because I sort of tried to keep it simple and brief. But yeah, half tax, absolutely, yes. Yeah, um, we've been trying to find out about um, public footpaths in Durham City. Right. And we have got copies of railway archives, which I think have come from York and the railway archives. Right. There. Yes. So you can see names of people who own land in in the viaduct area around Durham City. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the point. So other, basically anything where land ownership came, um, came into question, so things like building railways, we do have records um, within some of our collections of sort of people buying la of land being bought to, um, to, make, to build railways. And again, the Railway Museum in York, um, the Railway Museum down at Shilden, Shilden, Shilden Locomotion, they've got records down there as well. Following on from that, Coalboard yes. seems to be another potential. We do, we have a lot of records from the coal board. Um, so again, yeah, that's another potential. It depends so much on your house, how old it might be, the area, what survives. There's lots of different sources you might potentially be able to use. I mean, in Durham, there are Dean and Chapter records. Yeah, yep. So within Durham, and if you're anywhere in Durham oh, that was owned, well, which a lot of it was sort of directly by the Dean and Chapter, you may find the records in Durham Cathedral useful. So there's lots of different records that you can use um, potentially. One that, that might be particularly useful is planning records. And this is particularly for buildings that have been built since the 1850s. Because from that point, you start to get the beginnings of the modern um, planning, planning permission um, system, where basically building plans have to be submitted to the local authority. They're usually recorded in a register, which then refers to a plan. And for planning applications after 1974, they may well be on the Durham County Council planning portal. So this is the same portal that would you would use to log in and look at modern planning applications. They often go back um, to, the 80, to the 1970s, sometimes not quite that far, but it's certainly useful, it's certainly worth having a look if that's likely to be a period of interest for you. So in terms of finding planning records, one thing, the biggest thing to try and work out is what council did it come under? Because of course you've got the district councils that came before the modern Durham County Council. Before that you have the urban and rural districts, you have rural sanitary districts, you have metropolitan councils, you have um, borough councils. You've got all different sorts and it can sometimes be hard to know which one to look for. Um, we can always help you with that. There are various guides online as well. I'll show you our main information guide to building and planning. It's on our website there. Um, if you click on the lines at the top, which is the menu, and then our records, um, second one down there. Then um, information guides. And then you've got building control plans. Gives you a bit of an introduction. And then there's a chart with the council name there and the records that we have for each of them. 
If you've been to our website in the past, you may notice it looks different now. It's recently had an overhaul to make it more accessible and um, simpler to use. Um, at least that's the plan. Please let us know what you think of it. If you have any issues with it, we are still tinkering with it and trying to make it better. So for Bishop Auckland local board and later urban district, you've got an index, which covers quite a wide period there. And then you've got two registers, 1859 to 1894, 1905 to 1925. So unfortunately there is a bit of a gap in there. And then you've got the plans. So what you would do, you would look in the registers to find a, a plan that you might be interested in and then look at the plan. So that's a page from the registers. That's Cockton Hill Road. And that's a list of various properties or planning, um, planning permissions effectively that have been sought for Cockton Hill Road. So. We, um, one of the things you'll notice is there aren't any street numbers, which can make it quite hard to know which house you're looking for. We'll have a look at this one here, um, built for Mr. Rutherford. Um, the architect was Mr. Rule, who um, has submitted quite a few. In fact, you look, he's responsible for quite a lot of the um, buildings there. And then it tells you there, what is it, house, house, two houses, building sites, new drainage of the workhouse. But mostly they are either one house or multiple houses. So it tells you that Mr. Rutherford's house was number 716. So you then look for plan 716, which is there. It's a tall, thin envelope with the plans folded inside it. Description house situated at Cockton Hill Road. So again, you haven't got a street number or anything more specific there. And we've got for Mr. Rutherford, Bishop Auckland, plan submitted by Mr. Rule, architect. And then you've got a plan of the layout there. So you've got, shows you the front elevation. So what it looks like, looks like at the front. You've got the first floor, and it's quite a nice house. You've got a lobby, you've got a drawing room, you've got a pantry, kitchen, yard without buildings, separate dining room. And then upstairs, you have four bedrooms and a bathroom and a um, toilet or water closet, it actually specifies, which for 1984, or sorry, 1894, when this was built, is actually quite good you know to have an indoor bathroom and all of those facilities this is quite a nice house we don't know if mr rutherford was living it living in it himself um, but it, it's certainly possible it's a nice enough house it does give you a plan showing you where on the street um, it was or is and again, this is a bit less than helpful. You've got the Hernpike Road to West Auckland, which, let's say that's fake, that's north, that direction. So my take on it as someone who doesn't have local, doesn't have local knowledge is that that's Cockton Hill Road. 
I'm open to being corrected um, on that by someone who knows the area really well. You've got a street there, which is helpfully not named. And you've got a back road. And you've got some names of other owners, which could be useful. You could try and find them. It's the 1890s, so you can use the census. You can use electoral registers um, to find out more information. Any questions on that so far? Yes. Kind of a very silly question. Why did planning permission need to become a thing? Um, basically because people were building houses that were not structurally sound, that were not fit for human habitation. And as really as the towns and cities grew in the 19th century, it became obvious that you couldn't just allow people to keep throwing up houses and charging people to live in them because it wasn't safe it, and it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't good for public health, it wasn't good for the people who were living in there. Okay. So one thing you can use to try and narrow it down is electoral registers which were common from 1832. You do get a few earlier lists, but generally it's from 1832 that you get a strong run of electoral registers. And they list all the people eligible to vote in a given area, just like today. It's worth bearing in mind, obviously, that 150 years ago, fewer people could vote. So if you're looking for women, if you're looking for um, poorer men, the further back you go, the less likely you are to find it. Um, but it's useful because it's a yearly list and it's something you can check relatively easy, easily. The organisation of them also changes the way the electoral registers are presented. Sometimes they're an alphabetical list, sometimes they're arranged by street. Often the early ones have got information about um, eligibility to vote because of the way the franchise worked. And I'll show you in our example. So this is, again, Bishop Auckland um, from 1896. I didn't search 1894 because um, the electoral registers are compiled quite a bit in advance. Even if, Rob, if, if Mr. Rutherford had moved in to that house in 1894, he might not have been on the electoral register so we've gone for 1896 and you've got different categories. These are the ownership electors. So these are people who own their house rather than qualifying because they rent a house and um, live in it. And we do about most of the way down, we have Robert Rutherford. There he is. Cockton Hill, Bishop Auckland. So still not given a street number. Um, Freehold House, which at least tells us how the land, um, how the land was held, and his qualifying property is South Parade, Cockton Hill. I wasn't able to find any more about um, South Parade when I researched briefly. I do know that quite often in a street, a lot, you know, uh, urban street, you will have initially had different names for sections of houses and today they may all just be known as Cockton Hill Road whereas in the past you had South Parade you may have had other ones as well I don't know if that's the case here but I know it has happened elsewhere
So potentially you could also look up those neighbours who were listed on the plan, see if any of them are mentioned. Um, but it often does become a case of sort of pulling little bits together from different places. And one of the aims of today is just to be just being to give you an idea of where you might start looking. Are the election registers online? Um, some of them are. Find My Past has got quite a few of them on, Ancestry has. Um, I, th I think those are the two main ones. There are a few sort of dedicated sites that you know, claim to have lots of electoral registers from the past on. I haven't looked at those. They, they, they're uh, subscription or charged based. So I couldn't really speak for those, but certainly you can find quite a bit on Ancestry and find my past now. You can get free access to Ancestry in any county Durham library. So you don't necessarily need to get your own subscription. You can pop along to the library and um, have a look there to see if it's worth it first. And just to finish off, we've got other avenues that might potentially be useful. One is the census which again you can find on most family history websites. I don't want to say all because there probably are one or two exceptions, but it's very much a staple source for family history. Um, you've got lots of local history groups and that's often a really good place to start. There's lots of them with stalls here today. If they're not represented here today, the Heritage Forum, which um, does have a stall, is um, a good place to find them. It's a um, organisation that brings together lots of local history groups and they can often tell you where your nearest one is. But they are very useful because they're usually people who've done a lot of research in your local area. If they haven't researched your specific house, they may well know how old that street is, how the village developed or how the area developed. And so they'll have a lot of knowledge that they can help you, help you out with. Trade directories, so basically an early form of yellow pages. Um, the University of Leicester have quite a few of them online. They're also available in bigger libraries and local studies centres. And if, you, if your building is listed, then, or the building you're interested in is a listed building, then there's lots of information on Historic England about all the listed buildings. Um, yes. Yes, I found the trade directory for Durham in particular yeah. for my house extremely useful. Yeah. But the one thing that worries me is whether the house numbers have changed. Yeah, that is, unfortunately, that's one of the things it's very hard to be certain of. Once you get a house number, it's very tempting to think, oh great, I know what house it is but they are, they're not always consistent. They can change over time. If new houses are built, if the street is renumbered for any reason, you, cannot, you can find that yeah, the numbers aren't always the same. You can't assume that because the house was number 42 in 1901 that it's still number 42. So it's a case of sort of looking for other evidence, looking on a map, has the, has the street significantly changed? Yeah, again, names, it, a house can go from sort of having a name to having a number to having a name, and the name can change as well. Um, it's not, not always consistent. One next to me, fortunately, has a stone with the name carved in it. Yeah, that, that's always handy when it's set in stone. <laughs> Who is responsible for allocating house numbers in streets and roads and camps? Um, it will have been... Are there records then to go back to to look to see when they recorded 
what with what? It will be different councils over time and it's finding those references. There may be something, there may be a planning committee, there may be some, a reference in the minutes, which is probably your best bet. But if you don't know precisely when that change happened, that's, you know, you may mm -hmm. have sort of a couple of decades worth of minutes well, to search for. Are for keeping records? Are they, they weren't, there wasn't a sort of set system for it, but I would expect that's the kind of thing that is mentioned in the minutes. And the deeds of your house as well, if it's changed, you yes. if you've got the deeds, it will tell you that it's been renumbered at some point. Yeah, the, the deeds may be useful if you know, if you've got the deeds and you know that's your house going back, that can be useful. We do occasionally in the record office have chains of deeds where it starts in the 20th century and goes back a couple of centuries. Um, if you find any other records like that for houses in your street, that may be useful. If you may not be able to pin down definitely whether your number changed, but if the number four doors along hasn't changed, that's a good indication that maybe yours is the same. I know we've had a few questions, but any questions before we finish? Um, yes. Is all of this information the same for private roads? Um, Broadly, yes, it shouldn't make any difference whether it's a private road. Um, a lot of it is about land ownership um, anyway, especially as you get further back. Okay. Well, thank you all very much for coming. Um, if you haven't done so already, have a browse of the various stores. There's a lot of interesting displays. And I hope you have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you.